You are listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud, conversations about trauma and healing from two women who are doing the work. Hey everyone, this is Candace and Cher with Processing Trauma Out Loud. And we are super excited today, Cher, because we have a pretty special guest with us that we get to interview. And before we get going, I just want to say, please share this episode. I believe it's going to be filled with literal gold. Don Kuhlman, I met you several years ago through listening to a training that I had signed up for on mediation. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're at, what you're doing now. That TED Talk, I think, was what, four to five years ago? Yeah. And what's happened since then? So I'm a storyteller. And so I, this this will be a story. It's all, There's always a story. Back in my early 20s, I met this boy named Jason Kuhlman. And I was working on my master's degree in clinical psychology at the University of Dayton in Ohio. We actually met in Florida, but he lived here in Kansas City area in Liberty. Anyway, I asked him about how's it, what's it like to live in Kansas? And he's like, it's actually Missouri. And I'm like, yeah, okay, of course. Like I had no idea <laughs> that Kansas City was Missouri. But anyway, there's that come a long way. The goal was for me to finish up my master's degree. We continued to date and then I moved to Liberty, Missouri. I've got this master's in psych and I literally didn't know what I was going to do with it. This is back in the day. So this was 2003. And, you know, you had to to actually open a newspaper to use the classifieds to find a job. Just down the road from our house, there was the Clay County Family Court. I had applied to be for another position, actually, within the court. It was to be what's called a CASA coordinator. And so it's someone who re- like vol- manages the volunteers for the court and for child abuse and neglect cases. And I did not get that job. I actually didn't even get interviewed for that job. But they passed my resume down to the mediation program. Mm-hmm. And so the director of that program at the time reaches out to me and says, do you, you know, are you interested in being a mediator? And I am 100% honest. I had no idea what a mediator was, <laughs> but I was 27. I needed health insurance and I needed a job. So I was like, yes, yes, I will be a mediator. I had no idea what that was. <laughs> so they send me, the court sends me to be trained as a mediator in 2003, which was, t- which is 20 years ago that I was trained, which is really just amazing to me that I've been in this field for 20 years and I had no idea I was going to be a mediator when I grew up. And so I did a lot of parent education. I did all sorts of stuff for the county for nine years and then... In 2012, I left, started my own LLC, did private practice work in terms of mediation, parent coaching, supervised visitation. And then I did some consulting work for this nonprofit called March Mediation. And March stands for Mediation Achieving Results for Children. And then in 2019, I became the director of that program. So I'm the director of a statewide mediation program now here in Missouri. But during all of that, I had my own personal journey in terms of just that started in 2013 after I left the county. And anyway, I don't even know where I was going with all this story. But that's how I got into mediation, literally stumbled in it. But as I began working with people, you know, we're trained as mediators to to follow what's called a five-stage process in terms of like, you know, I do an opening and then you do your statements and then we define the problem and we and we solve the problem, if you will. And then, you know, everyone leaves happy. Well, 
the process would work if it wasn't for the people, right? And so that's my, that's always my motto. The people are what complicate the process. Because, you know, in my mind, I'm like, this should work, right? Like every time. And then I had to start understanding emotion dysregulation and helping getting people calm back down to be able to do the process. And I was like, okay, this is way bigger than me. That also was sparking my interest in terms of how can we better make mediation? How can we improve the process of mediation? And that also sparked on my interest in what I would call emotion regulation and my backgrounds in psychology. And so I definitely take a different approach than the legal perspective. And that sort of has what made me the unicorn, if you will, in terms of how to approach mediation. Yeah. And we are aware that you have a specialty in really bringing in working with people from an approach of being trauma informed. And this is what we talk with our audience about all the time is when you seek help from a therapist or a coach or a mediator, that it is someone who understands trauma because that emotional dysregulation that shows up in our own lives shows up in our relationships. And so then when there's conflict, we get dysregulated and we hit the wall and we cannot seem to move through it. And this is why we feel that our time with you today is going to be really helpful for our audience in just talking about how do we move through the difficulties of communication or relationship conflict when trauma gets in the way. And and I'm super excited for our audience today to just hear this, this conversation that we're having with you. Well, I appreciate this opportunity. This is where the the parallel story really starts, if you will. So in 2013, I went to a therapist because this is the funny part. I literally presented and I said, I'm having communication problems. That's literally what I said when I went to my therapist. It was a lot of how do we improve communication, da, 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 da. A couple of sessions went by and in passing, my therapist says, you know, people with complex trauma really should read the book, The Body Keeps the Score. I'll be honest, my brain couldn't get past when she said people with complex trauma, meaning yeah. you have complex trauma. Yeah. And I think it's really hard when you're in the trenches of something to see it objectively. Obviously, I had a master's degree in psychology. Like I, I knew, you know, I've known how to diagnose, right? But it's hard to see that when you're in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so having that objective person just say, and I, and she wasn't trying to upset me. She, it was literally in passing. I think she thought I just knew. And so then I went home and I Googled complex trauma, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I was like, what is complex trauma. And then it just by chance, my, one of my best friends from college called me and I said, Jules, I just was diagnosed with, you know, this. And we just kind of sat in that. And she was like, mm-hmm. complex trauma, trauma. And I was like, yeah. And so it's a lot like to, just to get your brain wrapped around a label of something. But I think the blessing, once I was able to process it and let it soak in the blessing of a label then is how do I get better? And that sort of started my journey in terms of treatment and then better understanding what was happening with other people that I was working with. I then read the book, The Body Keeps the Score, and literally the right side of my face went numb while I was reading the book. And my therapist was like, I think we should do this book in small doses. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm I'm guess I'm guessing, Don, that your thought was, okay, I'm gonna get through this book and I will be fine. (laughs) It's all gonna be done. Yeah. Yeah. I I love hearing about these modalities and I think it's so true, right? It's it's there are there's so much known now about the brain and the way the brain heals. And when we're talking about trauma, we're talking about trauma that has been embodied. So it's it's literally stored in the tissues of our muscles. And so I I love just hearing you talk about these different mo- modalities and I also love the fact that as a trauma-informed mediator, what you are bringing to your clients is the fact that you are a person who is also, you are a healer who is also on your own healing journey in an ongoing manner. And I think that that's, that is just a, the reality is that when we have complex trauma, it doesn't just go away, like a broken arm will heal and, and actually be as good or even even better than than before it was broken. But with trauma, it is an ongoing process where it does require attentiveness because of the different ways that it is embodied into our body and our brain. And so I love hearing about this. I want to transition us a little bit into talking about some of the ways that you have found in mediation. I'm thinking particularly about our listeners who they have trauma when they get into conflict with their significant people they hit the wall and they cannot seem to get through the wall because they get dysregulated. And I'm really interested in in hearing about some of the tools that you have found that to be effective for helping people break through those barriers so that they can go deeper into their communication process with the people who they love the most. There's like five things I want to say at once. I'm going to have to navigate all this. One of the things you know, as I began to learn about the brain just not feeling safe, the brain not feeling like it's in control, that obviously is seeping through when you're in with people in a session. You can tell that people are not feeling safe. They're not feeling in control. One of the things that I started doing was, so a caucus is where you take parties individually. And basically it was finding ways to get people what I call back online to do the process. Because I feel like there's always this continuing you know, continuum of, are they able to do this process? At certain points, they're not. Sometimes they are. How can I help them regulate in order to be able to do the process? I started taking people in caucus and doing something, what I, what I would call just unusual in mediation, but I would have people start to do self-talk and we would do deep breathing. And so literally I would say, take, you know, smell the flower, blow out the candle. And, you know, just really just, getting that vagus nerved, calm down, working the body. We're going to regulate. We're going to center. In addition to the self-talk was I am safe. I am in control. The amazing thing that was that I learned, a lot of people would say, but I'm not in control. And people literally feel like they're not in control of their brain and their body. A lot of people. I would say, okay, well, this is going to be your homework assignment. Then you're going to sit in here and I'm going to go talk with this other person and you're going to continue to do the breathing. You're going to continue to do the self-talk. And I said, and here's the thing. I want you to keep doing this every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this is now not just mediation. This is like an emotion regulation technique that you've got to keep practicing. It's not just like a one and done. Like we've just talked about. It's not a one and done. It's this ongoing. A lot of brains out there do not feel safe 
do not feel in control. And then, you know, then I would go meet with the other party and and try to, you know, get them back online. Mm-hmm. And then getting their brain calmed back down, getting them back together. And it's often, you know, not just facilitating the conversation, but facilitating that emotion piece of it, which not to sound crazy, but when I first started talking about emotion regulation and mediation, this was probably about 2017 when I actually put that label on it. The first thing, and I was working with various states at that time because we were all kind of creating trauma-informed mediation models. And so I was, you know, this was Zooming before Zooming was cool, if you will. And so I'm Zooming with North Carolina and they were like, whoa, Don." if we use emotion regulation, the judges are going to think that we're nuts. We cannot use phrases like emotion regulation. And I was like, well, what do you want to call it then? And she goes, that just sounds like therapy. I'm like, no, therapy is therapy. That's a, that's a different process than just calming the brain down. That's just emotion regulation. Like we use this every day, all the time to get through life. Kids need to be taught emotion regulation skills. And that's, you know, it's part of the issue. Like they're kids that weren't taught it or they just couldn't grasp it. And then now they're adults trying to have these conversations and and it's just, you know, it keeps going. It's, we have to figure out how to address it. That has been, I would say, probably one of the biggest obstacles in this, what I call legal field is getting these legal practitioners to get their brain wrapped around this idea of emotion regulation and mediation and getting people comfortable with that. Because over the years, a lot of what I would call like attorney mediators, if some if someone expresses an emotion or if someone expresses a concern that feels emotion-based, there'll be a lot of response of, well, that's just not important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or like, let's, let's all just calm down here. Yeah. Right. Which actually usually backfires. Yeah. Don, you said something in your Ted talk that I, I want to, if it's okay, I want to bring this up real quick, yeah. but you were talking about the self, the compassion piece yeah. as you were looking at your own story, as you were meeting with people, Sharon, and I just did four episodes on cultivating the trait of self-compassion. And I'm, I am curious, like, how much of a role do you see that? Like the compassion piece, I, you know, I'm just, you know, picturing myself in mediation. Okay. I'm dysregulated. Right. And here's this mediator that, you know, we're, we're here, we have an agenda. We just need to get through this. And then there's someone like you that is seeing, that is noticing that your very presence, your body is bringing something different. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that has affected your clients? The next step of what I was just talking about in terms of, you know, attorney mediators or other providers saying things like that's just not important or let's just stick to the facts. That's also another thing that's that comes out a lot. Parties will say to me, like they will have gone to mediation with someone else before. And then they come to me and they're like, this is a totally different experience than what I had the first time. And even if they don't reach an agreement, like that's that's not the purpose per se. The, the purpose is just for people to feel safe, for people to feel in control and giving them a process that allows all of that. Mm. That's what people want to have. And if I can do that, then then I've done my job. Even if we don't reach an agreement, that's okay. That was one of the the shifts. And that's just a trauma-informed framework in terms of, you know, that like what happened to you mindset versus the what's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just the part of being a mediator is you have to what's called suspend your judgment, come in neutral, be impartial. 
And if you're already coming in with those thoughts of what's wrong with you, then you're going to approach it from that perspective. And so thinking about, you know, what all the stuff that people come to the table with in terms of they're showing up, they're trying to talk. And I do want to highlight real fast that showing up can be overwhelming for a lot of people in terms of I've had people who had panic attacks in the parking lot. That was the other reason why I felt like I didn't really understand what was happening. People asking for trash cans because they felt like they were going to throw up. The idea of conflict gets people physically ill. People who were self-medicating prior to coming to the session and literally said they had to self-medicate to come. We as a people do not handle conflict, I would say, pretty in an effective way all the time. And especially when you think about like, what did conflict mean for this person? Right. For some people, conflict meant domestic violence in the house or violence for someone. Navigating what their perspective of conflict is, I think is Mm -hmm. stuff that I don't get to as a mediator. Like that sounds like therapy, but you know that you just know that it's there somewhere in terms Mm -hmm. of what, what did that mean for them growing Mm -hmm. up? Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it doesn't take a lot of time. We talk about this on the podcast all the time that people long to be, we call it the four S's, seen, soothed, safe, and secure. And so even as a mediator, like you can do that relatively quickly, like Of course, not the way that a coach does or not the way that a therapist does, but where you can basically see, I see you, I see you are dysregulated, I see you are struggling and let's just take it, you know, so you're seeing them, then soothing them. Let's just take a couple of deep breaths together and then reminding them you are safe in this space. You are in control. It's like even there in a setting that is so dysregulating, you can bring, you are bringing that, which I'm sure is just amazing for the people who you work with. The other, one of the good things that came out of the pandemic was the ability to do mediation now, or it's a acceptable way to do mediation through phone and Zoom. And just to highlight one of the amazing things that happened during the pandemic was I was contacted by American University and they said, you know, we'd like to do, we have some funding from Pew Charitable Trust. We would like to fund a project to see the effectiveness of the different methods of mediation. And at the time, the researchers were actually like going to dismiss phone mediation. They were like, we don't even know if that's a real, you know, style of mediation. And But I said, no, we're doing all three. We're doing in person, we're doing phone, we're doing Zoom. Let's just see how these work. And the amazing thing that came out of that research was that every method was effective for very different reasons in terms of like why people felt safe. And the fun thing about that was we had these, they were masters in public policy students. They were doing, they would do post mediation interviews with the parties and really get to see what the person was experiencing during the mediation. This is just, it was fun. Like I I don't ever get to see like what people are feeling during that process. They're asking them the questions in terms of, you know, what did you, why did you find the phone mediation to be so effective? People were responding with, I was able to sit on my couch and I felt safe in my home. I was able to mute my phone and cry in confidence. I was able to pace back and forth. So when you begin to think about emotion regulation techniques that are taking place, these are all things. And the traditional mediation format, when you're sitting there face to face, it almost, that style almost feels combative to me on some level. When you're sitting there across from them, have trying to yeah. have these hard conversations. Now we've sort of shifted it to, no, we don't have to sit face to face. Coming to the table is now a metaphor, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I think people are able to feel safe with 
sitting on Zoom or sitting on the phone because there are triggers such as how someone smells or a look that they give you or something that's beyond the scope of what I'm even aware of. And that's things that's happening at the unconscious level that we can just cut out right from the beginning so people can start to feel safe in that process. And that we're, we're not going back now. Like yeah. we're using all three methods. All three mm-hmm. were found to be very effective for their own reason. And we're just going to keep going with that. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it just, you're on the cutting edge, right? You're, you're going into this new territory. What I love about what you just shared is there are rules that need to be questioned. There are methods, right, that are no longer working. It's a little reflective of kind of our survival tactics that at one point worked, but no longer work. Just good for you, Dawn, to be really on the front lines of saying, listen, this is about people too. We've just been through a lot as a society. You can begin to see the effect of it in terms of like kids, even my youngest daughter, she has an autoimmune disease now that didn't exist prior to the pandemic. And I, you're going to get me, you're going to get me. And a lot of anxiety and just a lot of, I had lunch with a colleague who's a fifth grade teacher. And she said she had three or four kids who actually got hospitalized in fifth grade. And she said, Don, I've been doing this for 28 years and I have never had kids in fifth grade get hospitalized. And I had four this past year. Wow. And it's just, I think we're beginning to see the effect of happening. It's happening on kids in terms of going through that collective trauma because you have parents who didn't know what to do with it. Nobody knew what to do with it. Let's be honest. Everyone was drinking at two o'clock in the afternoon and then trying to homeschool their kids. Like it was craziness. And now, We've got the kids who are trying to navigate that. Their brains didn't know what to do with it. The adult brains didn't know what to do with it. It was overwhelming. I'm just really happy that there's a lot of steps forward to helping people understand not just what's happening, but what do we do with it? How do we heal? And I don't want people to not have hope. And that's what I hope I can bring is a message of hope. Listen to all the crazy stuff I've tried. Try something, you know? There's lots of ways out there to heal the brain and the body. And so I just, I want people to know about that component of resilience and hope as well. Mm, Just so good. Yeah, so much. And I love what you're saying here is that trauma is becoming more and more understood as being extremely significant in the ways that individuals and societies are suffering right now. So, so glad for the work that you're doing. Thank yeah. You. Thank yeah. you so much, Dawn, for being with us today. I, I, I just have to say one more thing. I listened to your TED Talk again this morning, so I'm kind of in the feels about that if you haven't noticed, but it's uh, when I first fell in love with you. But when you're on this journey, right, and you're you're sharing about kind of getting personal about your story and the TED Talk, you know, you said this one thing that teared me up again. And that was in the midst of all this hardness and not what's going on, you you heard, I have big plans for you. And I just want to say, what a joy to see that unfold for you. You're going to make me cry, Candace. I'm the one that said it, but you repeat it back to me, which is amazing because that's what mediators do. You just repeat back what people say and then you hear it. And it's mm-hmm. so different to hear it versus saying it. You know, I said it and it was real and true, but to then to hear you say it back to me is just, it is, it's amazing. I'm I'm very grateful that I've been blessed with this opportunity. It's It's amazing to me that, you know, just the, some ideas that I had in my head are making waves at an international level is something that I honestly could have never 
beyond my comprehension, you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Ooh. Love yeah. you, Don. I love you. <laughs> yeah. So good to be with you. And I'll, I'll just uh, say to our listeners, there's a lot here today. There's so much. I, I'm, I'm even sitting in the, your recommendation of Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body yeah. Keeps the Score, which for both Candace and I was very, very impacting. And and I think for me, just transformational in some ways as I implemented some of his suggestions. And like you, I had to read it kind of like one paragraph at a time. It took me a long time to get through that book. But just the resources that you are mentioning here and the different modalities. And there's no one right or wrong way for people to find healing. And there is, we're, we're fortunate to live in an age where there are so many opportunities some things cost a lot of money and sometimes some things literally are free that you can find help through TED Talks or on YouTube or podcasts that where, where free information is there for people too. But the big thing is that I think you've offered today is that there's so much hope and that trauma is a big deal. And we know that we're talking about that all the time, but trauma is a big deal and it really dysregulates our lives. But when we are in situations where we can have that compassionate person who helps us navigate, we can move through really, really hard things. And so I encourage our listeners, listen to this carefully, reach out, find your resources that are something that you want to try and, and see how it feels. And if it's not the right thing, don't quit. Keep moving on. But I just want to thank you so much for being with us and for sharing some of your story and for letting us get a glimpse of what you do and how you do it. And it's it's just been beautiful to be with you. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to suggested resources and social media. Like, subscribe, and follow to keep up with our weekly content. And if you don't mind, take a moment to rate and review us. Your feedback is extremely valuable and contributes to the success of this podcast. One last thing. If you have found this podcast helpful in any way, or if you have questions on how to take the next steps on your healing journey, please reach out to us via email at CandiceShare at gmail.com. That's K-A-N-D-A-C-E-S-H-E-R at gmail.com. Our sound engineer is Jeremiah Jones of Auditory LLC. We welcome you to join us for more conversations soon. Take care.